and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education, the classical world, old books, and the movement that's sweeping America. GameStop. Classicism. <laughs> GameStop. <laughs> classical education. No. Um, we are three guys. We work at a classical school in Austin, Texas. The school is called Veritas Academy. Um, and my name is Graham Donaldson, and the other two of the three guys are AJ Hannenberg. That's me. And Thomas Fletcher Magby. Hi. I feel a little weird with you throwing my middle name out and there. How come I didn't get a yeah, middle name in there? What's your real name? Arthur Yon Arthur Hannenberg. Arthur Yon, yeah. I called JJ. Right, but you didn't say Arthur Yon. So you I'm, I'm getting me. neither of my names. Right. Okay, AJ Hannenberg and, and I'm TF, TF Magby. Magby. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that so much. Um, anyway. Um, the freaking Magby. Mm-hmm. We do this because we think that old things are fun to learn about. <laughs> I'm in it for that sweet, sweet podcast and money. And that mm. sweet podcast money. I do like our patrons a lot, so I guess that would be... Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's, that's a really that's fun. a pretty good reason. Um, actually, just the, as we've been doing this podcast now for, gosh, what, two years? It's longer than at that. least three. Maybe Almost, we're at like yeah. episode 150 yeah. something. Right. It's just the idea. I mean. Yep. You know in the back of your mind that the idea of, like, Lindy effect, like things that have lasted for a long time. And, but I just had this thought as I was teaching. Can you explain that? What do you mean? Oh, it's um, that things that have lasted, long uh, the time. longer that things last, the sort of more likelihood they are, they have something within them that causes them to last longer. Now, it's not, it's not perfectly... Um, or that the people behind them are just stupidly stubborn. <laughs> I guess, but there's just... Um, I think the formal yeah. for- version of it is the number of years a thing has existed is your best predictor of how much further it will last into the future. Mm. Oh. And so, it's based after that like restaurant in New York City. Is, right? that, what, is that where the name I comes think so. from? So, yeah. so like, if a, you know, a company that launched a week ago, you don't know anything more than it'll last for another week. Like That's your best estimate. But Shakespeare will be around another yeah. 400 years or whatever the but number is. The reason I was thinking about this recently is our students are writing an essay in my English class, and they're writing it on the nature of ambition, inspired by Paradise Lost, and where Satan says that ambition caused him to go to hell. And a stu- so the students are writing about what should the relationship, what should our human relationship with ambition be in life? And some student was like, Mr. Donaldson, can I use an, a modern example? And I was like, what is it? And they started to describe like some television show. They're like, some, some character on New Girl. Now, I've never seen New Girl. And they just described it, and I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, I would much rather if you didn't stuck to Paradise Lost instead of some television show. And um, as I started explaining, I sort of said, started to explain like, well, in, you know, 200 years, I, we have a strong likelihood that Paradise Lost is still going to be classic. Right. And New Girl is still like hanging in the balance <laughs> as to whether or not it's going to be classic or not. You never know. Did not convince the student. Mm. The student was like, I don't know, sir. New Girl's pretty awesome. <laughs> so um, it made it into the paper? Uh, I don't know. Oh. The papers are due on Friday, mm. and we'll see. But um, but just this idea of, like, yes, uh, I don't know, Annenberg, we talked about this on the podcast, like, do things last because they are good, or do they last because of, like, tradition, or just there's, like, I don't know. Or because uh, humans are like lemmings? May, yeah, or there's, okay. yeah. We've been told it's good, so we believe it's good. Or there's, like, the deep state. <laughs> yeah, now we're going very fast in conspiracy land. How did we get here? What are we yeah. even talking oh, about? Oh, sorry. Um, uh, we're talking about, I don't know, like the devil or something um, today. <laughs> I mean, yes, but... Well, not... Oh, is this your roundabout way well, of I'm connecting saying, back to the topic? Like, yes. Uh, you know, I don't have the answer to this question, but I don't know what I would give to get the answer to that question. 
I wouldn't give my soul. There it is. So he, he's I making the connection. I, I do. Um, Great. Wow. Yeah. I right. appreciate that. It took us four minutes to get there. Holy cow. Yeah. Let's go ahead and start. Cool. So I, last time I You said did, Graham intro the podcast. So. <laughs> I did. Did you? I don't. Did you say that, AJ? The, I don't believe I did. The oh. Tragical Life of Dr. Faustus by Marlowe. Christopher, Christopher Marlowe, Marlo, that's who it is. The one we talked about last Christopher time. Christopher Marlowe. I, I kind of panned it. I didn't think it was very good, and I still, in comparison, the don't think it's The book or the podcast? The, I mean, like, neither was probably high quality. And <laughs> and I it's since been pointed out that Marlowe was rather young when he died, and Shakespeare's early plays weren't really that great either. And someone told me, one of our listeners, that he's the guy who made Iambic Pentameter the meter of English, you know, verse and stuff. And so I guess he's got some stuff going on. I still don't think his book was that good, especially as I read this one. But anyway, we are moving on to the next iteration of Faust that I have been thoroughly enjoying. And you guys who are watching on YouTube can see it right here. It is Faust by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. I, I know that I'm mispronouncing everything in that name. Sounded good to me. Goethe? <laughs> in my head, I pronounced it goat for a really long time. Mm. <laughs> so I figure this, this might take longer than I intend it to, uh, which means this may go from being... A supposed to be two podcasts to being a little bit more than that. I'm mm. okay with it. It's I think it's worth the time. It's a it is I guess considered one to be one of the masterpieces of German literature, and as I read it, I'm I'm not inclined to disagree. So I'm going to give you a little bit about his life first, and then I will try attempt to do the entire first act in this episode, and then we will move on to part same two. conceit. A dude that sells sells his soul from like wisdom or not wisdom, but like alchemy power. Uh, cut. Kind of, yes. The The wager is a little bit different, mm. but it still comes from that legend of the guy who sells his soul to the devil. He makes like a devil's wager, mm-hmm. right? Gotcha. But in this one, there are so many more levels to it, and I think there's even a misunderstanding in the wager on, and how that works, kind of on both <laughs> sides. So let's talk a little bit about, about the man himself. I'll do him relatively quickly. Much of this stuff, and I'm going to undercut my credibility here, is just from Wikipedia. So if you want to get a little more Why would you say that? Because I'm, you know, academic honesty. We always pull our information from Wikipedia. Why would you admit that? <laughs> so if you want to learn more, you can go there. And if you're like, that sounds familiar because you read the Wikipedia page. Well, That's I got much of this stuff from there. I did actually read the book. That's not from SparkNotes. <laughs> oh um, <laughs> I promise. I promise I did my due diligence You are there. undercutting all of your credibility right now. I just, I know it. Well, Good. either that or the audience will appreciate my honesty. One Good. of the two. One of anyway, the two. here's some stuff about his life. Um, he is one of the most prolific authors of Germany. We still have 10,000 surviving letters from him and 3,000 surviving drawings. Um, he grew drawings. up... Holy smokes. I know. He was, his drawing was actually apparently his first love, huh. and he, he loved to draw. I was about to say, science. I probably got 10,000 surviving emails. <laughs> Easy. It's not quite the same charm. But a lot of those are from like iTunes telling me that mm, my order went through. Or okay. your Amazon notification. So he grew up in Frankfurt in a pretty big house. His dad was appointed the imperial counselor in Frankfurt, uh, which was at that point a city of the Holy Roman Empire. Um, young Goethe got lessons in all the common subjects, He, in, including many of the languages. Uh, he got lessons in dancing and riding and fencing. He was a right young pip that was growing up in kind of as a, as a noble. We got to rethink our curriculum. You think, you think you dancing... We have dancing. We have fencing. dancing. We have dancing. We don't have fencing. Not fencing, no. We got, uh, what else did he have? Languages. Languages. Yeah, we got those. Riding. Horseback riding. Yeah. Falconry. Come on. Falconry is not on the list. Just Super useful in today's society. Okay, moving on. Uh, he, we got voles, he, actu- he actually went to study law at Leipzig University from 1765 to 1768. Uh, but while he was there, he kind of liked poetry better. He was not super enamored with law. 
While he was there, he fell in love with a girl named Anna Katharina Schoenkopf and wrote a bunch of poetry about her. Cool. And in 1770, he released Annette, his first collection of poems, while he was, I guess that was actually after university. Um, his studies didn't really progress. Mm. Uh, that's what Wikipedia, Wikipedia says. I don't know what that means. I if they're just dad saying was, he was like kind of a flunky. Right. Yeah. Or, dad was like, cheese that he like sent his kid to law school and he's right. like, I'm a poet. <laughs> <laughs> You're not he wrong. Tried. He actually yeah. didn't have a great, great really. relationship with his dad. So when he... He was forced to return to Frankfurt in 1768, and then he got really sick. And during his convalescence, he kind of had some tiffs with his dad about wanting to go into literature. And dad is like, you're going to be a lawyer. Um, so he went to finish school at the University of Strasbourg. And while he was there studying in Strasbourg to be a lawyer, he had sort of his like literary awakening. He fell in love with Shakespeare. He started holding like Shakespeare celebrations and writing poetry and, you know, falling in love and doing all the things young literary fellows do. Uh, at the end of 1771, he actually did get his degree um, in Frankfurt and established a small legal practice. He became a, a lawyer. Okay. But he was not good at it. Okay. Mm. Uh, he was inexperienced and he proceeded, and I'm going to quote Wikipedia here, too vigorously. I don't know what that means. Whether okay. he like argued too he was, vehemently yeah. about small squabbles, like fences oh. on land, or I don't know quite what that means, but he was <laughs> reprimanded for it and then he lost a bunch of other cases and so... He was kind of on the outs as a lawyer after only a couple of months. It didn't last very long for our, for our poor guy. So at that point, he went back to literature. And by now, his dad approved. <laughs> right. I guess his dad is like, well, you tried. law practice ain't working out. So why don't you go try your hand at something else? Sure. Nothing lowers the parental bar like failure. Public <laughs> failure. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have some stories you want to share? I'm nervous. Um, so he, he one of his first works of literature was he got a copy of a noble of a noble highwayman from the Germans peasants war that would eventually be, he would work into a drama. Like it was, I think it was a, a biography written by like this, uh, this highwayman that would rob people. And he's like, ah, that'd make a cool drama. So he made it. And it was kind of a success. Um, he went back to law eventually. And in 1774, he wrote the book that would sort of bring him literary fame called the sorrows of young Werther, um, which kind of made a lot out of a relatively stable relationship that he had, a, a friendship. And then he, you know, wrote a whole bunch of drama around it and then published the book and it won him some acclaim. So he got invited to the court of the Duke of Saxe-Weimar-Eisenach, mm -hmm. which I'm definitely mis mispronouncing, who would later become the Grand Duke. And oh, at wow. the time, the Grand Duke was, the, the guy who would later become the Grand Duke was 18 and Goethe was only 26. He remained in Weimar for the rest of his life and mm -hmm. held a succession of offices eventually becoming the, one of the Duke's close friends and advisors. Um, he became a noble in 1782, which is where he gets the Vaughn in his name. I didn't know that. I didn't know that if someone was a Vaughn, it means they were a noble. Did not know that. So he became a noble, the god of Vaughn. And then at one point, he sort of developed a, a relationship with an older woman that lasted for about 10 years. She was married. And then he kind of was like, well... Time to go to Italy. And so he left without telling her. She was emotionally distraught. It's okay. They made up later. And he kind of went on a pilgrimage to ancient Greece and Rome and learned a whole bunch. Uh, he became friends with Friedrich Schiller. Have you guys ever heard of Schiller? Yeah. Yeah. You've heard of Schiller. We, he's in uh, Crime and Punishment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the book that you teach, isn't that? The, the author shows what up. Is he, what did he write? He's a famous author. I oh. forget. I, is, I've never read any Schiller. Yeah, this is the, like... You know, 17th century, 18th century Germany is a big gap in my The robbers. My Don, Don Carlos. No, none of these. Great. Wallenstein. Um, in 1806, while he was living in Weimar with his mistress and their son, Napoleon invaded. And a whole bunch of... Rough. Poorly 
organized and disciplined troops called the Spoon Guards. I don't stop. I, I'm not kidding. Really? I don't know why they're called that, but they came into his house. You want someone stealing your spoons? The Spoon Guards? The Spoon Guards. And then he came, apparently he came down from upstairs and he was in his bathrobe and he looked so regal and majestic that they're like, oh, and they didn't mess with him. But that kind of went out the window really quick. And then they started trying to steal his wine and they woke him up with bayonets. And his wife or his his mistress apparently was the one that sort of like barred the door and forced them out and, you know, kept their house from being pillaged and burned. So these are the Spoon Guards are French? Spoon Guards were French. And then he, he married her only a few days later. He's like, this girl's awesome. So they got married. Had several children. Uh, she died in 1816, and in 1823, the now 74-year-old fa- uh, Goethe fell in love with the teenaged Ulrich von Levetzau, a girl he wanted to marry. Mama said no. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Good call. Good choice. In 1832, he died in Weimar of heart failure, Robert. and he left behind a whole bunch of scientific stuff. One was a treatise on color that he he thought was one of his most important works. He talked about leaves and plants. He was really into science. He was, he was a medieval everyman, right? He, he did not an everyman. He was a renaissance, renaissance man. Renaissance, yeah. He, he did everything, right? He wrote poetry. He wrote songs. He did lawyery. He was interested in science. He left behind the largest co- private collection of minerals in Germany at the time with, I think it was something like 15,000 rock samples. Wow. My dude likes rocks. goals right there. Goals. Yeah, yeah, serious. Private goals. Do you, you want 15,000 rocks? Uh, yeah. I want to know. I want to leave it behind. As far as his religion is concerned, that's a little harder to nail down. Uh, he was a Freemason, and he was enthusiastic about the teachings of Christ, but not so much about the church. Right. He was all for God, not the church's version of God, which he thought was a hodgepodge of, like, violence and cheating and all that, all that sorts of stuff. Sure. Uh, he had elements of pantheism in his religion. Um, he was also a Spinozist, which I tried to look up and didn't couldn't quite wrap my head around it all the way. Do you Spinoza, know what a Spinoza is? Spinoza is one of the he's a ma- mathematician. Um, is he contemporary? Of, Wasn't it? He's th- he's the one that's like also credited with inventing calculus. I think I think like Newton and Spinoza, or is that Leibniz? Um, that was Leibniz. It says Leibniz, that, anyway. It says that he kind of thought that. God was a substance, all a single like uniform yeah. substance that had thought and motion or something like and that. And matter. Pretty yeah. sure it's like uh, getting into that that sort of the deism that was popular at the time, right. which is that God is this sort of disembodied thing that gets the world going and then pieces out. Yeah. And he was briefly wanted to be an Illuminati and oh, a oh. hipsisterian, Dope. which I haven't looked up what that means. It was a small sect of religious fanatics around the Black Sea. I mean, he had a lot of weird stuff going on. And so I am people that sell you essential oils on Facebook. <laughs> the same. Yeah. So we just lost half our audience. Um, <laughs> so I, I am excited to dive into it. I'm kind of putting off learning more about his religion until I read part two of the mm. play, because part two apparently dives much further into the ethereal and heaven and hell and philosophy. This first part, there is a lot of that, but there's a lot more story. And I, I hear that part two has less story and more philosophy. So I'm kind of waiting to fill out that, par- that portion of his life until I can give the audience more information on part two. Now, if you're a member of the, of the Illuminati, you can email us at <laughs> theguysatclassicalstuff.net. And uh-huh. if you are looking for initiates, uh-huh. members... So you want to join would, no, also? I, I, just want, I just want to see what it's like. So I you just, do want to join? No, no, I don't know. Maybe. I guess you'll find out after. Can you do like a trial? A trial yeah, yeah, like a fourteen a day month, free trial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah sure. And then one month for free, and then they and then they like auto auto uh, auto bill auto bill. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are funny. Okay. okay. So are you guys ready to dive in? Yes. Sure. 
He wrote this over a really long period of time. And so apparently some pieces of it are older, some pieces are younger. I'm just going to go beginning to end and sort of tell you the tale of what happened. And I'm going to, I have a lot of little bits outlined to read. I probably won't end up reading all of them, but if you're interested in a particular section, I might have a section to read for you. So if you're like, hey, what does that sound like? I can probably read a chunk for you. I don't know. But I, I will probably waver on some of them. So it begins with Faust's dedication. And the dedication is kind of like when the poet clears his throat. And it's a, it's a guy sitting at his desk. You mean Goethe's all, dedication or Faust's dedication? Uh, Goethe. Oh. So it's, it's the poet himself, gotcha. Goethe, sort of clearing his throat. And he's talking about all these apparitions that are in his room. And it's oh. like memories Freaky. and thoughts. Yeah. And he is sort of, they are begging to find reality. And so he is giving all of these apparitions reality in the poem, hmm. which is kind of cool. It's kind of like the inv- invocation of the muse. Right. Maybe. My note for it was the bard clears his throat. Okay. Which is kind of cool. Draw like a circle on the ground and... Uh... <laughs> no, that comes later. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, okay. And then the next part is the prelude in the theater. And so we have these weird meta levels and we're going to eventually work our way down to Faust. It's almost like... You ever, you ever see those movies where you start and it's zoomed way out of the universe and it's like aliens looking in and then it zooms in and it's... Mars and there's Martians and it zooms in and there's people on the moon and then it finally zooms into a dude in his house. You ever seen those? Nope. No. But really? I'll, take, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> no? no, I don't think so. Is okay. This like Looney Tunes? No, I mean, well, yeah, sure. Oh, okay. But anyway, so we get kind of this big, huge view and we will step gotcha. down in these levels sure. all the way down into Faust and yeah. his his issues. So the next part is the prelude in the theater and it's an exchange between the director the poet who is supposed to be writing this play and a merry person who is just sort of along for the ride and waiting for the play to take place. Okay. And the funniest thing is when I read this, I couldn't help but imagine the three of us and which oh, one no. was which. I was about to say, it sounds like a podcast. You got the guy that's like writing the thing that we've got. I so, feel like, man. yeah, who's who? I, I feel like I might be the merry person and then you're the uh, bees is the dramatic poet. And uh-huh. then you're the director. Oh, I don't oh. think that's totally accurate. Anyway, what happens is the director is like, look, man, I need, I'll just read this section because it's really charming. Above all, let there be sufficient plot. He's sort of telling him how, what to write. And he says, they like to look, so let them see a lot. You give the audience a solid eyeful so they can gape and marvel all the time. You'll grip them by sheer quantity of trifle. Your popularity will climb. Mass calls for mass in order to be one. Each ends up choosing something for his own. Who brings a lot? brings bits for everyone and they will all be happy going home. So if you write a whole bunch of stuff, like all kinds of plot and all kinds of stuff, everyone will be happy because there's a little something for everybody. You stage a piece, serve it in pieces, do. Why, it's a snap to make this kind of stew. It's served as fast as cooked up in your head. What use is it to bring your whole instead? The public shreds it anyway for you. He's like, look, don't work so hard on it. It's right. They're going to pull it to pieces anyway. And the poet says, you do not sense how cheap this is, how tawdry, how shamefully true art is thus maligned. The charlatan's ragout of tricks and bawdry, I see, is now an axiom in your mind. So the director is like, look, man, I just want to play where a lot of people will come and spend some money and hang right. out in the theater and have a good time. And the married person is like, yeah, sounds good. And the artist is like, "Ugh, you'd want to draw down my art from the heavens. And he's almost refusing mm-hmm. to, to do it. And this is sort of the exchange in the theater, like as they are writing the play, of Faust. And so we're zooming in from the poet to the sort of like a level in where it's the director of the play you're about to watch. And right. then we're going to go one more in kind of. So, but the person writing the play right there is a character, right? That's not Goethe. Yeah. It's, okay. it's like, 
it's not Goethe himself. It's right. just the poet who is writing do Faust. We, do we come back to these characters at all? Nope. Just as far as I know, game. that's okay. that's it's sort of like we're working our way in. Sure. Is it the whole thing rhyme? Uh, yeah, it's in rhyming verse. I don't know how what the verse was in the original German, mm-hmm. but whatever they've done, whoever was the translator has done an excellent job of maintaining verse. While is it just is it just couplets? I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah, because there there's an alternating thing, and Megby's okay. going to look it up for us. So sure. get after it, Megby. All right, the next one is the prologue in heaven. So we've had the dedication, we've had the prelude in the theater, and now we're in the prologue in heaven, which is basically a reenactment of Job. So God Job? is yeah of oh, Job. Okay. So mm. God is up there, and then Mephistopheles, mm. who is the demon character of the play, if you remember that mm-hmm. from my last episode. Uh, he comes up and he's like, hey, what's up, everybody? And he wants to come and talk to God. And and he sort of directs his attention to Faust, right? Uh, so he kind of like talks and he's like, look at man, they're not having a very good time. And you laugh at me because I'm kind of a fool and whatever. And the Lord says, and do you have no other news? Do you always come only to accuse? Does nothing please you ever on earth? And Mephistopheles says, no, Lord, I find it of precious little worth. I feel for mankind in their wretchedness. It almost makes me want to plague them less. <laughs> and then God says, do you know Faust? He goes, the doctor? Yes, my serf. And then Mephistopheles says, forsooth, he serves you in curious fashion. And they talk about how weird Faust is for a second. <laughs> and then God says, though he serves me, but in clouded ways, soon I shall guide him so his spirit clears. And that's important because this is the intention of God throughout the play. So God right? says this. Yes, God says, I will guide him so his spirit clears. Okay. The gardener knows the young tree's green haze that bloom and fruit will grace it down the years. So he's like, yeah, yeah, he's a little messed up now and he's really searching, but oh, you know, I'll make something out of him. I'll grow him to a tree. And then Mephistopheles says, you'll lose him yet. I offer bet and tally, provided that your honor gives me leave to lead him gently up the alley. The Lord says, as long as on the earth he lives, so long it shall, be, it shall not be forbidden. Man ever errs while he strives. Mephistopheles says, My thanks to you. I've never hidden an old distaste for dealing with the dead. Give me a full cheeked, fresh-faced lad. A corpse with me is just no dice. In this way, I'm like a cat with mice. So he likes to play with something that's living. And then... So this is their this is their wager, and it turns out that what Mephistopheles wants, if he succeeds, then Faust will have to crawl around on the on his belly like a serpent. Like that's what he wants is for Faust to be a snake. And then as he's walking away after this scene, Mephistopheles says, "Say what you like. It's quite a compliment. A swell like him, so man to man with the devil." He's like, "Ah, isn't it good of God to have a chat with a guy like me?" All right. So that is the prologue in heaven, right? Okay. So we've gone clear in the throat and then in the theater and then the prologue in heaven. So we are in the play kind of proper. And then now we are going to meet Faust in his theater and he is an academic, right? He lives in this like little cabinet full of books and he is, he's really intelligent and learned and he's sort of gotten to the point where he is done with it. Like he's found all of knowledge empty for him. It's not giving him what he wants. What he wants is sort of the myth and the pith and marrow of life. And, learning just isn't doing it you you look concerned sorry i've been trying to figure out the rhyming pattern and it's annoying <laughs> any, any luck no apparently not either uh, two sources one says that it changes based on it just changes throughout which is not a helpful answer or yeah. that it alternates between aabb and abab but at like different increments so there you go there are two different answers super helpful so there. faust is spent his whole 
youth studying books and like getting real smart. And now he's like, man, I should have partied more. Uh, yeah, except partying isn't really doing it for him either. Oh, okay. it's like he's learned all of the philosophies and he still uh. doesn't feel like he's really captured what living is all about. He really wants to have, uh, I'm going to use this word, the totality. He wants to, to be sated, to have his desires fulfilled. And he feels like as a man, as a temporal being, someone who's going to die, it's just not going to happen. So what he wants is ultimate satisfaction. And this is going to get clearer and clearer as we go along. But here, here's a little section from when he's sitting in his cabinet feeling depressed. And I love this part because I want to have it engraved on a big board for my classroom and stick it on the wall. Wow. So it says, Whoa, stuck within this dungeon yet? Curse this dank, frousty cabinet, where even heaven's dear ray can pass but murkily through tinted glass. Entombed within this book-lined tower, which dust envelops, worms devour, by fumigated charts unrolled as high up as this vault can hold, in instruments all choked and furled, hemmed in by flag and jar and trunk, stuffed tightly with ancestral junk. This is your world. <laughs> Call this a world. And so he's just like frustrated with his life. Welcome to ninth grade. Yeah, Welcome yeah, to ninth grade. <laughs> I just, I, I want to keep that uh, healthy skepticism of academia oh. in my students. Sure. Right? Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. Like there's something to reading and there's also something to like, Getting out there and living, right? It would be a nice update to your abandoned ho- hope, all ye who enter sign. So you don't actually have that. No. Although but I do put that sort of... No, I, I use a different... Um, it's it's a line like just before that when they're entering hell. It's like, I walked in and you fell in behind me on that dark and murky road. And I was like, they are walking into hell, which hopefully this class will be better than that. But Oh, great. Someone put that on that abandoned all hope, all ye who enter here uh, on the door of the Latin final a couple years ago. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. So do you guys have any questions so far? Am I doing an okay? Okay job? Makes sense. Yeah. Makes so sense. he is, he's bored. Yes. Well, he's sort yeah. of gotten everything that he wants or he's been looking and he still hasn't found what he's looking for. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, do you want to start singing? No, but okay. I can <laughs> see you were right on the cusp. The You're yeah. right there. Okay. It's so, a great song, man. So he picks up a magical book. Mm-hmm. He's just sitting there, right? So he's got he all these, he he's got this. all these books around okay. and he picks up this book and it shows him the sign of the macrocosm, which like is like a diagram of the universe for him. Right. right so he's looking at it and he's like, oh, it's awesome. It shows me everything and it's divine. It's perfectly formed. And we've talked about the spheres before and how for a medieval man, their universe held a resemblance to God and a resemblance to themselves. And it was sort of this really nice, beautiful balance of things. And he loves it. And then he says, but... What glorious show, yet but a show, alas, how boundless nature sees you in my clasp. Like, he's looking at the totality of nature, but it's a drawing. It's fake. He can't have it, and he can't, like, encapsulate it. And so then he turns another page and perceives the sign of the earth spirit, and then he tries to kind of, like, conjure it. He's like, man, I'd love to meet the earth spirit. And then the earth spirit's face just goes, boonk, and he's like, Hi. And he's like, whoa, earth spirit. And the earth spirit shows up in his little cabinet. And the spirit says, long have you drawn me here with potent summons sucking at my sphere. And now, and then Faust says, I cannot bear you. Whoa. And the spirit's like, you've been calling me here, man. I show up and you're dealing with it. And then Faust says, am I to yield to you semblance of flame? No, I am Faust, your match. I am the same. Oh man, don't, don't mess with the earth spirit. Why would you do that? Yeah. And the earth spirit's like, we're not the same. Nah, yeah. no, you're not. And basically tells him like, you're not even close. 
And then he says, you who bestride, Faust says, you who bestride the world from end to end, spirit of deeds, how close I feel to thee. Like he feels like he knows everything. And the spirit says, close to the wraith you comprehend, not me. Like you understand kind of what I am, but as it comes to really understanding me, you're not even close. Right. And then he disappears and Faust collapses in despair, right? He has, he said basically like, I'm like you, I get it all. And he's like, no, you don't sit down, you old academic. And Faust kind of feels terrible. And so he determines in a scene that I only really understood today as I went back through, he determines to kill himself. Um, Wagner, his assistant comes in and Faust is like, this is it. The only way that I can get to this spirituality that I desire, like leave this corporeal frame and get to spirit land is by killing myself. And so he picks up this cup and he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump on that fiery chariot. I'm going to head through those doors of death that everyone else is going to crawl through. I'm going to do it boldly and go to be spirit and really get into the universe and feel what it's like and become like the earth spirit. And as he's about to drain the poison from the the cup, sure. Uh, he hears the sound of bells and choral song and it turns out that it's Easter. Mm. And so the the praises of Easter sort of revive him and bring him back from the brink of diving into the spiritual realm. Okay, how are you guys feeling so far? Great. I mean, I feel like, does the assistant say anything? Like, don't do it. Uh, The assistant walks in as as he's... So as uh, as he's like talking with the earth spirit and talking about all these things that he's about to do as he's really living Wagner or Wagner or his his assistant walks in and for his assistant academics are enough. He thinks mm. that what Faust is doing is reciting Greek plays. Oh. And so he comes and he's like, oh, you've been reciting. That sounded great. Wonderful. And he's kind of like uh, the academic that that feel, feels much of himself, right? That makes much of all the learning and all the learning in the world is enough for him. He feels at home in books. He wants to read the scrolls. He just wants to read all the books there are and feel really good about that. And Faust is like, that's not enough, right? Faust has come to the end of what Wagner is still pursuing. That makes sense? Sure. Yes. Okay. It's probably Wagner. It's probably Wagner. It's German. But Wagner sounds so cute. <laughs> it's, yeah, but you're right. Okay. So... I feel like I should stop for questions and comments. Do you have any comments on this so far? No, it, Faust, again, I, I felt this was the same with the Marlowe version, that Faust is not uh, a sympathetic character, I guess. Like, he, he's arrogant. He knows a lot, which is great, isn't satisfied by it. I guess, again, the, there must be a problem with the character that has to be developed through the play, but I don't know, he just sounds like a sad guy, right? I don't know. I find him more sympathetic than the first one. The first one is like, I want magic and money and chicks. And I, I couldn't really sympathize with him. This Faust is like, I have, I've tried to learn everything there is about the universe. And I still don't feel like I've been able to embrace what the universe is really about. And I want that. And then not only that, but he is condemned to follow this devil because of a wager in heaven that he had nothing to do with. And so Faust seems much more sympathetic to me and that what he really wants is just that life experience and to feel some sort of satisfaction. And he doesn't, it's not, it's not that he thinks chicks will do it. It's just that he, he just doesn't feel anything and he doesn't know where to go next. Sure. Again, having not read it, I'll be curious where this search for satisfaction leads him to. Will he, you know, he starts out with, he desires knowledge and is willing to, again, I assume trade his soul for it. 
given that power, what does that lead to? Right. Right. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm curious at this point where we're, where we're going with it, but yeah, okay. I'm following you so far. All right. I'm going to have to hustle through a couple of the next scenes and not read as much as I intended to, because they're just not as important. Uh, so Wagner and Faust then go on a walk right after this little episode inside of his little That's a good, cabinet. that's a good move. Get some exercise, get some fresh and it's air, Easter celebrations, head. right? Yeah. So they go out to walk on in the fields and have a good time, get a little sunshine and, and they start to talk of all these feelings that Faust is having and a whole bunch of the peasants come up and they're like, hey, Faust, we know you. And they, they sing him a little song and they give him a little bit of praise and then they give him a basket full of goodies for Easter and they're like, thank you so much for helping us during the plague. And it turns out that his dad was a doctor during the plague and tried to help everybody. And so as they're walking away, Wagner's like, ah, oh, that's so sweet. I didn't know you helped all these people. And he responds, uh, stuff about his father. Um, I'm going to jump down to the middle of it. He says, by secret recipes unending, locked up in the black kitchen with retorts, he brewed away with adepts, blending contrariness of every sort. There was a scarlet lion, intrepid wooer, wed to the lily in a tepid ewer. And then by open flames, the two were vexed from one new bridal chamber to the next. And when at last, with rainbow colors vying, the young queen glistened in the yield. There was your dose. The patients went on dying, and nobody inquired who was healed. And thus, with our infernal tonic upon these hills, these dales were visited. A plague far worse than the bubonic. Why, with this poison, I myself defrauded men by the thousands, leaving them for dead. And now I must hear the brazen killers lauded. So apparently his dad was an, almost an alchemist and right. they made some weird potions and then walked away curing people in quotes. And turns out they mostly killed everybody. And then no one, everyone was like, oh, thanks for trying. And he's like, yeah, we pretty much murdered everyone that we tried to help. So he's Dang. kind of a pessimist, right? Yeah. And a bad dude, right? He was, he was a part of that. Yeah. Sure. And then they they start to talk and Faust talks about, you know, yearning to to fly and to almost like be part of the sun. And Wagner's like, yeah, I like books. I'm fine with books. And he's like, well, hopefully you never feel the things that I feel and want to, you know, jump out of your skin and, and jump into the airy spirit places. Right. Well, boo hoo, Faust. I mean, like. You're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. After well, that last thing, he just killed a bunch of peasants. I mean, it was did. kind of his dad. Yeah, he's just sort of along for the ride as, get a, as a young like boy. He's like not going to turn away their fruit basket. Oh, it's true. Well, I mean, what do you say? Like, sorry, I killed all of your families. Yes, I, I don't know. You could do that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, as they're walking along, they see a black poodle, and the black poodle's a little weird. And Faust is like, eh, "Something off about that black poodle." And Wagner's like, "It's a dog, man. Chill out." And he's like, "Yeah, it's acting. It's looking at me. It's looking at me funny." And he's like, "It's just a dog." And so he goes home, and it turns out. Poodle followed him and followed him home. And as he's sitting there, he's kind of like thinking about God and talking about God and just doing Faustian things. And the poodle turns into a person okay. and he's like, whoa, apparently there was a thing. And it turns out this is Mephistopheles. He was in the form of a poodle. And so he was right. The poodle was looking at him and being kind of weird. And the one of the one of the coolest things I found in this is he, he then references as Mephistopheles is sort of revealed. He says, ah, I'm going to go check Solomon's key. I'll figure out who you are. Do you guys know what Solomon's key is? It's a, a list of demons, isn't it? How did you know that? We we reference this in an AMA about like demonology, but it's a popular text that like it categorizes them. And I think it like ranks them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Did we already reference it? We was I like talking it about it in an AMA? The question around AMA was like, what areas should like Christians not study? And demonology was the thing that came up. Oh. But yeah, oh. Solomon's Key is like a famous. I, I, I again, I think it's a famous thing. Maybe it's not. I mean, I, I didn't know it, but apparently it is famous. And yeah, they, it's, it's like a sort of bestiary of 
Yeah, it's a, of re- it's a reference it book for demons. It gives you yeah. their name and their symbol and tells you like what they look like and how they show up and how like to... poodle. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, I'll figure out who you are, you poodle-looking guy. And apparently you can check and some of them show up as like dapper old Englishmen. Mm-hmm. And it also tells you, I mean, the whole thing is designed so that you can control them. Like oh, control so, yeah. demons. You're supposed to totally absolve yourself of sin before entering into this. It's like, it's real dangerous trying to control demons and get them to do your bidding. And I was like, this sounds like a really bad idea all Terrible together. Idea. Seriously. Yeah. But does he find the entry for Mephistopheles? Nope. Okay. Um, <laughs> he tries really hard and Mephistopheles is like, whatever, man. And he's like, why don't you get out of here? Mephistopheles is like, you have a pentagram by your door, which is what you reference, oh. like the sign on the floor. Mm-hmm. He can't get out. He's like, yeah, it's, it's over there. I can't leave as long as that's on the floor. And Faust is like, oh, well, I have you. What will I do with you? And then some spirits come to Mephistopheles' aid. Okay, whoa, whoa. Just, we just back up. Was that like a design choice? Is it like, well, how did that? <laughs> he just liked the look, to, look of the Did he just put it on the floor just for, uh, for fun? Well, remember, he's in this. It's like, like an Ikea rug? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's just sort of like hanging by the doorway or by a window. And it's, I mean, he's got a whole library full of symbols of the occult and all kinds of things that he's been trying to investigate. And one of them happens to be efficacious. No wonder he's bummed. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And so Mephistopheles is like, I'd love to get out of here. Uh, can't though. And so they put Faust to sleep and then Mephistopheles recruits a rat and has the rat nibble enough of the sign away so that he can leave. Oh. Rock and roll. That's, that's, that's uh, resourceful Seems right like there. like a loophole or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so the poodle slips away. Okay. You guys with me so far? I think we're going to at least get to the wager. Okay. I was going to say, so Mephistopheles leaves. We don't get the wager right now. Yep, but he comes back. Oh. So wait, why did he follow F- Faust home in the first why place? Why was he as a poodle? Dog? Yeah. You know, uh, I'd have to reread that section. I'm not quite sure. I think he's just like, wanted to hang out, follow Faust home. Or no, remember they had the wager. He knew fa- who Faust was. Yeah. So well, why is, Okay, but why do you want to leave then if you followed him home? I don't think he liked being trapped. Hmm. Right, you don't want to be at the behest yeah, of yeah. someone. Sure, no, that makes sense. Or maybe if you turn into a dog, you like take on dog instincts that you can't control, and you just have to follow people home. <laughs> maybe, or maybe he was like, "I'll get some dog food out of this." <laughs> but this guy has some really tasty bones. Okay, so Mephistopheles comes back, and they end up doing the final wager, and something has sort of changed in Faust. He's gone from kind of hopeful on Easter to really sour and feeling terrible. And apparently, there's a missing scene in here that was that Goethe intended to write and never did, that kind of gives us this transition between Easter mm. and feeling really terrible in his cabinet the next day. Wagner got tenure. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Mephistopheles comes back and they, they make a wager. He says, uh, Mephistopheles says to Faust, he says, but let us say you chose to fall in step with me for life's adventure. I'll, I'd gladly forthwith go into indenture, be yours as well as I know how. I'm your companion now, and if this meets with your desire, well, be your servitor, your squire. And then Faust says, and for my part, what is it you require? And Mephistopheles says, never mind you, it's much too soon to worry. And eventually, he basically says, I shall be at your service by this bond, without relief or respite here on earth, and if or when we meet again beyond, you are to give me equal worth. So I have you while you're alive, and then I get you as my squire when you die. Somehow this doesn't seem as bad as Marlowe. Like, I'm hearing this as, let's say, Faust gets him for 40 years, then, like, there'd be 40 years of torment on the other side. He clearly doesn't mean that, though, right? Yeah, I don't know. And, and I, I think there's a really deep 
essential misunderstanding here because Faust says, beyond to me makes little matter. If once this earthly world you shatter, the next may rise when this has passed. It is from out this earth my pleasure spring. It is this sun shines on my suffering. If once from these I draw asunder, then come to pass what will and must. And Mephistopheles offers him some more things. And Faust says, what is it that you can offer me? Like, I've, I've been to the end of academia. I've had all of Earth's, Earth's pleasures. What can you possibly offer me that will take care of my desires, right? Mm. I want, if I want to be like the Earth spirit, how in the world are you going to give that to me? He says, what is, poor devil, in your giving? Has even human mind and its high striving been comprehended by the likes of you? Like, I'm a human. You're a devil. How are you even, like, connecting with me? Um, what's yours but food unsating? The red hue of gold, which, shifting and untrue, quicksilver-like, will through the fingers run. A game which has always, always stays unwon. A girl who at my very breast trades winks already with another's eyes. He says, show me a fruit which won't sour. Like, you can give me money, that'll go away. You give me a girl, she'll go to somebody else. You gotta give me something that'll be consistent. Mephistopheles says, I can offer you that. Um, and Faust, this is what Faust says. Should ever I take ease upon a bed of leisure, may that same moment mark my end. When first by flattery you lull me into smug complacency, when with indulgence you can go me, let that day be the last for me. This is my wager. He says, if you can get me to the point where I'm satisfied and where I'm chill on a couch and I feel sated, that's it. You win. You can kill me then. Hmm. Like, I will, I will switch it. And Mephistopheles is like, great, I got it. And then... Aside, he kind of says uh, to the audience itself Mephist- in Mephistopheles, Mephistopheles okay. as Faust sort of wanders off because he hears some students outside and Faust is like, "Ugh, I can't bear to face my students. And he's like, all right, I'll take care of it. And so Mephistopheles puts on a robe and then he says, as Faust walks away, go spurn intelligence and science, man's, man's lodestar and supreme reliance. Be furthered by the liar in chief in works of fraud and make believe and I shall have you dead to rights. Fate has endowed him with a forward-driving impetuousness that reaches past all sights, and which, precipitately striving, would overleap the earth's delights. Through dissipation I will drag him. Through shallow insignificance I'll have him sticking, writhing, flagging, and for his parched incontinence have food and drink suspended at lip level. In vain will he be yearning for relief, and had he not surrendered to the devil, he still must needs have come to grief. Basically, I'm going to do it through like little pleasures, right? I'm going to get him by girls and by drink and all kinds of things. He thinks he can, uh, he wants all this big stuff. I can't give him the world, but I'm going to torture him with the small things. It feels to me like Mephistopheles at his core misunderstands exactly what Faust wants. Or thinks that Faust doesn't actually want what he says that he wants and that these little pleasures will work. Yeah, or that whatever, yeah, whatever big thing he desires yeah. is he the small things are going to fill it enough. Right. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But that is in Faust's favor, right? That so again, if the wager is, it's not until Faust is content that he'll die, then Mephistopheles will lose, right? Yeah. So that this, this seems like a good thing for Faust. Except you got to be like a grump your whole life. Yeah, exactly. Well, he was going to be win. Grump, he was going to be a grump anyway. Right? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm not yeah. satisfied. All you right. have to give me something. So at least he's promised satisfaction. And if he doesn't get satisfaction, he's got this little devil sidekick that right. is going to give him all kinds of good stuff. <laughs> great. Right. Who can turn into a poodle. So that's great. Okay. And then it didn't even make it into the bestiary. I mean, like, yeah, Mephistopheles, it doesn't seem like he's like, you know, triple A, mm. triple A demon. Yeah. Fair enough. 
He's not, I mean, he's not upper echelon for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm kind of glossing over a lot of the comedy here. Right after this, there's a long section where Mephistopheles does go talk to a brand new student who's a freshman. And he's like, I'm wondering what I should study. And Mephistopheles is like, well, let me tell you. And he's like, philosophy's great. They'll, oh, really? they'll like have everything and tell you that even brushing your teeth has five steps. And they'll like tell, and then he like, and then he talks about, uh, theology and how any false step will basically damn you to hell. And then he talks, my favorite is when he talks about medicine and he's like, it's the easiest way to woo women because they'll let doctors into their house. And so he's the sketchiest and wow. the, the student, the is student like, thinks he's a teacher. Yeah. The student thinks he's oh. like this wizened old teacher. And so he's trusting him on all this stuff. And then the student goes, yeah, medicine seems good. And so, <laughs> so decides on medicine. <laughs> like, uh, it's there's it's really funny because Faust is this high-minded, dramatic character. And Mephistopheles right. is a bit of a toot and makes crass jokes all the right. time. And there are all these funny little sarcastic asides. Okay, so the first place they stop, Mephistopheles has him now. He's going to he's gonna try to sate his desires. And he takes him to... Does he, like, get a regimen going? Does he have, like, a checklist? I think so. Well, he's just, I think he's going to start small and just keep trying stuff. So, you know, throw spaghetti at the wall Mm -hmm. until something sticks. Um, And the first place he takes him is. Right. So Vegas was your guess? Yeah. Like a bar, right? He goes to a bar. (laughs) He takes him to a bar and he's like, look at these guys. Right. They're They're happy. happy. You could be happy. Have a drink. And they kind of sit and they sing a little bit. And Mephistopheles is hiding that he's the devil. And then he's like, guys, I will show you a trick because the the drink has kind of run out. And so he's like, okay. Everybody drill a hole in this table, take a little stopper, stick it in the hole. And everyone's like, oh, okay. And they're all kind of drunk and they stick it in. And he's like, okay, great googly moogly. And he does his magic words. Then he goes, pull out the stoppers. And all of a sudden, wine is flowing from the table. And they're like, oh my gosh, this guy's the best ever. And they like sing him praises. And they're all getting hashed on this totally amazing tasting wine. And then a guy starts singing too much and his cup sloshes. And some of the wine hits the floor and immediately bursts into flame. And they're like, ah, and they all start spitting it out and everything's on fire. And then they're like, he's a devil. And they try to kill him. And then Mephistopheles weaves another spell. And they're all, all of a sudden they're all like, oh, this Italian countryside is so beautiful. And look at these wonderful grapes. And then they pull out their knives and grab each other by the noses. And they're about to cut off each other's noses to eat the grapes. And Mephistopheles is like. And he poofs away and everyone is like, oh my gosh, we would have cut off each other's noses. Yeah. That's freaky. And that's the whole that's bar the whole, scene. Great. That's what happens. Wonderful. So he doesn't quite get Faust on that one. So Faust isn't satisfied? No, he oh, was not man. satisfied with the with the bar. I'm satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny, right? It's a pretty great little scene. Yeah. And from like I said, from here on out, a lot of it's entertaining. Uh, and then he takes him to see a witch. Mm-hmm. And the witch owns monkeys. And she's not at home when they arrive. And the monkeys are little toots. And they make fun of things, and then they, they can, take... They can talk? Yeah, they can talk. They're talking monkeys. Oh. And they sit Mephistopheles in a chair, and they say a bunch of rhymes that don't make sense, and they give him a little scepter and a little crown, and they sort of dance around until the the witch comes down through the chimney and basically says, get out of my house or I will hex you. And then Mephistopheles says, like, reveals his hooves, and he's like, I'm the devil. You better listen. And she's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Whatever you need, man. And so he's like, look, I need a potion of youth for my man here because he's old and that's not great. So we're going to fix him up, make him young again. And Faust is like, is there another way? And he's like, well, you could work hard in the fields and eat well and exercise. And he's like, I'll take the potion. Yeah, that's yeah. not really for me. I'll, t- I'll go ahead and take the potion. And so while they're brewing up the potion in this really farcical, like kind of nonsense, rhymy way, Faust gets kind of distracted by a magic mirror that is showing him pictures of ladies and he's like, you guys see the you see the lady in this mirror over here? And 
Mephistopheles is like, yeah, I kind of see it. And he's like, she's pretty cute, man. Like I'm, uh, I'm feeling some things. And then apparently what it is supposed to symbolize is as his youth is returning mm. to him in bodily form. Huh. So his youth is returning in spirit. And his so vigor. Yeah. He's, he's getting his youthful vigor back. Mm. Right. And so Faust is young. He, he, he like comes out the other side, a young man and with a young man's desires. And then as they're walking on the road after this, he sees Gretchen and he wants Gretchen. Mm. And he says, get me Gretchen. And Mephistopheles says, look, man, she's pure as the driven snow. Mm. She's got no sins. She, I have no hold on someone like that. She's just too dang pure. And he's like, look, man, I want Gretchen. Get her for me. And he's like, give me seven hours. I'll get you a girl. And he's like, okay. He's like, okay, what we need, I can't control her, but I can come up with some ruses and some tricks uh-huh. and we'll do it that way. And that'll, that'll fix her right up for you. And so that's what they decide to do. Uh, so they, apparently Mephistopheles knows where all the buried treasure is. He has like a nose oh, for it. Man. And so he's like, dug up all this buried treasure. And they put it in her room after creeping in her room for a while. Yeah, that's kind of weird. It's weird. Yeah. She leaves and then they come in and they like hide it. And, and Faust is like, everything's so divine. She sits on this chair. Oh my goodness. And he's like, chill out, man. Here's, puts the treasure in and then they leave and she finds it. And she's like, oh, how did this come here? Right. And they call a priest in and the priest takes it for the church. And she's like, ah, flip, I lost all my jewels. And so then Faust is like, well, got to do it again. And Mephistopheles is like, you think the treasure's endless? Like this is getting yeah. to be a kind of a chore. And he's like, look, man, just give me some more. And so they go and they put more in there and then she hides it from the priest and mm. keeps it for herself and like mm. takes it to her neighbor's Uh-oh, house. Oh, there's yeah. no longer pure as a driven snow. Yep. I caught that today too, as I went back through. It's her first sin. Wow. She keeps it from the church. All of a sudden... She's greedy and the boys have a hold on her. Yeah. Right. Okay. We're getting kind of up there in time. I'm, I'm not feeling like we're probably going to finish this thing. Um, do you want to uh, go further with it? Uh, what you mean? Like do another episode? Yeah. No, I'm saying like we have 10 more minutes. Do you want to, well, unless you guys have comments, do you have comments at this point? No, I mean, so far it feels like it's just setting itself up for all of the, the things that you would assume he's got, you know, uh, revelry in the bar he's got his youth he's got the like love that he ever wanted when he was a young man and uh i'm curious as to whether or not he's gonna like one day be like man i'm just i'm feeling great today and mephistopheles is like you know bingo <laughs> <laughs> or he just has like a good morning and a really yeah, nice yeah. cup of coffee yeah. and he's like ah and that's mephistopheles pounces yeah. although there is something about like needing to stay unsatisfied in order to feel like you you're winning that feels very like you're winning the 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 deal with the devil that feels like somewhat contemporary (laughs) like the race of you know just sort of um um who can who can couch their experience and like dissatisfaction and misery seems to be like an arms race in many kinds of things but i'm not i i feel like i need to have more of the book before i can kind of like comment more yeah 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 Yeah, what what kind of strikes me especially in this early part is his dissatisfaction with academia i mean we do Mm -hmm. an academic podcast right and i think a healthy poor scholarship with no scholarship with no scholarship (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) if we're to believe our one-star reviews um I, i don't know i feel like a healthy skepticism of academia and a healthy respect for like actually going out and living real life is is a necessary balance for any academic Right, which is why I want to put that plaque on my wall. I think it's a good thing for students to come in here and not feel like I am telling them that books are the end-all, be-all of human life. Yeah, I mean, is 
you know, is man for academics or academics for man, right? Like exactly. it's that kind of, and this is, I mean, Goethe's writing around the time when academia is, you know, has been spun off from A, the life of the church, supporting up sort of the life of priests and and, and local congregations, right. and the idea of seeking out the university of things, right? Like that that medieval cosmos and the university was learning about that cosmos and trying to see how everything fits into that unified theory or that unified design. Now you're getting into it where everything's sort of branching off and academics is becoming almost its own industry. And yeah, I think I'm comfortable saying that once you start turning something that's supposed to be a means into an end and that becomes like a career, yeah, it's not going to be very satisfying. Yeah, and I wonder how much of this was was Goethe's position as well. I mean, the man was an academic for sure. And so I wonder how much he sees himself in Faust that he had done, he like, he'd done it all. He'd written a treatise on color. He collected all the rocks. He figured it all out and it still wasn't quite enough for him. I mean, he even had the like old guy crush, right? Yeah. And even in modern day, like a, a life of academics is sort of held up as kind of this, this sort of great reward for, the kids who are great at school, like when you sort of run through that, it's like, okay, if you get good grades and you can go and you get an undergrad then you can get a master's and get a PhD and then you can get like a great job teaching in a university. And we all know that that's not, that doesn't exist or like those sorts of jobs are very few and far between. Right. And, um, um, you're saying we, we graduate too many PhDs for the number of teaching jobs there. Yeah. And this is not what, this is not what Faust is about, but I'm, um, um, there are lots of little narratives of culture that we have of what a satisfying life is, and the enlightened academic is one of those narratives. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm wondering, and maybe I missed this from his bio. Yes, he went to school. Yes, he became a lawyer. But his so like it's fifteen thousand rocks. Was he working for a university during that time? No, he was working for the Duke. Yeah, because that's. Would you still call him an academic? So again, Faust is tied to a university doesn't he he's doing research mm-hmm. at a he's uni- a teacher yeah so goethe is what's a different word is academic the right word he's doing something different he's intellectual but maybe not academic intelligentsia i don't know right like maybe, maybe there's something to that like there's something also very european with the idea of being um like a public thinker or this I, is a silly example but uh, jp morgan um was a um, one of many, um, what do we call those rich people at the turn of the century? Robert Barron? Yeah. Philanthropist? Maybe, I would say philanthropist, but whatever. So he also had interest in um, uh, discovery, and a rock was named after him, Morganite. Morganite is a pink rock that you can find. The, I mean, whatever, it's a rock. You can still find it. But or like George Soros was uh, undergrad, was in philosophy right. and became a hedge fund manager because he wanted to have enough money to continue in philosophy. Right. And so there's, again, with Goethe, it's he found a way to make money, to make a living, but also pursued these intellectual um, mm-hmm. options. But it wasn't the point of his life. He wasn't a geologist. He was a man with many interests. He pursued all of those. And that's different from getting the PhD in geology as that example right mm. there. So I think there's something helpful in that of like keeping an amateurish love of knowledge, which isn't the same as you know, writing your dissertation on something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, 
I, f- I found, and this is maybe takes us a little further afield, but maybe that book you lent me many years ago that I kept for many years. The Intellectual the Life. The Intellectual Life. I found it very charming because the author assumes that people in who have sort of regular humdrum jobs also have this like rich inner life of right. study. Right. <laughs> and I found that, and I, I like that idea. Like, um, I think it's much more fascinating the people that want to study and learn and read divorced from titles and um, the university life and the politics right. of, of, a, of a campus and all these sorts of things. Um, but even that is, but Faust isn't talking about he doesn't like working at a college or he's, you know, fed up. He does say he doesn't like his students. But he's even saying at the end of the road of inquiry, he's dissatisfied. And we haven't really brought... Again, you know, Easter is the thing that comforted him for, you know, a day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, has religion been brought up much at all? Is he a religious man at the beginning of this play? Um, I mean, stay tuned, listener. There, he actually has a conversation with this young girl that he's courting about it. She okay. says, well, I like you, but you kind of freak me out because you're not exactly a religious man. And he's like, well, and so they they, they have a conversation it. back and forth okay. about exactly what Faust believes. And even though he's cavorting with the devil in his company... Right. We'll, we'll talk about his view of the cosmos as he sort of walks around and how he thinks God works into everything. And it's, it's going to get weird. I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying not to give too much away, but you are looking forward to a sort of witch festival on top of a mountain. Like, that's coming. Oh, okay. Right you guys, there's, there's a lot of excitement coming. This, this episode might have seemed kind of like a lot of dusty bookshelves, but Faust gets weird and fun and intense. You've so. had earth, earth spirits, too, so you're yeah. doing great. And, and uh, I guess devils who are trapped by... Pentagrams black, and black, have rats yeah, and poodles dig right. them out and yeah. poodles and now is it meant to be sort of campy and funny like in or its parts right. of it right? Uh, it's it's a juxtaposition of the sassy, sarcastic but clever Mephistopheles yeah. and the high-minded, tragic and dramatic Faust. I mean, yeah. when I when I say I think this is a masterpiece, I think it is. Mm. I don't think that it's like he's aiming for campy. I think there are campy elements worked into a lot of like really deep, meaningful poetry. I read some of the more easy things to understand to you guys and summarized some of the more difficult ones to understand. But man, if I felt, I felt weird coming into this episode because I didn't know how long it would take because I feel like given two more years of study in this book, I still wouldn't understand the whole thing. So this is a a deep well. Yeah. It's a, this is a basic, like we're, we're jet skiing over the surface surface here, not diving deep. Right. So, Yeah, apparently this is going to be more than just yeah, one yeah. episode. Well, so, what well, you planned on that? This is already, right? part one of part one. What? So this is the oh, first episode of part one of the of the book. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And there are two parts to the book. There are two halves. Yes, two halves. Okay. Two two parts. Cool, cool. I like it. All right. Well, this has been. Oh, we got to do classical stuff you got wrong. Real oh briefly. yeah, we have a few. One classical things we got wrong on our Bible episode. I talked about Q and being a primary source, and I said for Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Q and Mark. Not a thing. Uh, there was no Q and Mark. In fact, Mark and Q are separate. Matthew and Luke have word-for-word passages taken from each other that people associate um, to some sort of prior amalgamation document that sort of is, is called Q. So Mark and Q, not together. Okay. Uh, one of the other things we got wrong was I said that the word cretin or Cretan came from pe- the people of Crete who were notoriously <laughs> kind of dirtbags in the ancient, ancient world, which is true. But that's not where the word originates. Apparently the word, <laughs> and this is a little bit of egg on my face, 
uh, originates with Christians. Cretan was oh, a that's pretty funny. making making fun of Christians. Yeah. So if you're a Cretan, that's what it was all about. That's us. That's kind of funny. And some of the stuff about Marlowe just being, I, I kind of threw him under the bus there, but he's a better poet than I give him credit for, I think. Cool. Yeah. I never make mistakes, so I have nothing so else to So thank you to Thanks. those listeners who sent those things in. Yep. One of them being my father. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Graham's dad, Mr. Donaldson. Perfect. Um, yeah, so this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. Um, with You can find us on the internet. On, <laughs> what? We're there. We're <laughs> yeah, there. That's where we are. Uh, on the Hi, Graham. You can How tweet are you us at Classical Stuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L Stuff. You can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. Um, we have after episodes where we uh, continue to talk about things. We have monthly AMAs, um, and we have other little bonus things that is available to Patreon subscribers. And if you want to do that, you can find us on Patreon. Last week's episode, we gave you sort of a sneak peek as to what kinds of things happen in those after episodes where we get into, um, not that these episodes are scripted, but they're even more... um, I don't even know. It's loose ends from the, yeah. the episode, right? We we clear those up and kind of mm-hmm. um, hash that stuff out in the in between episodes, or we talk about whatever. Like we, sometimes we, those we, things wander. We talk through yeah. our feelings. We sort of get through, you know, our uh, deep personal hot, issues, yeah, yeah. Hot yes. stock yes. tips. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's true too. No financial advice. Um, no. <laughs> and anyway, so this uh, thank you for listening, and um, yeah, we just appreciate everybody who sends us emails and encouragements yeah. and all sorts of things, just you know, telling us that you're listening. And hey, whoever you are that are still listening to those logical fallacy episodes back from like three yeah. years ago, yeah. those numbers are still high. I know you're on some curriculum somewhere. So the you people that still like listen to that, you, we appreciate it. Well, That's they, awesome. they're listening to that and not this. They're, they're so never they, going to hear this. They're yeah, exactly. never going to hear oh, this. All right. Well, all right. I hope you like it. All right. Bye. <laughs>